I'm good. I'm super pumped that you were gracious and amazing enough to literally jump on the pod, I think in less than a 24 hour notice. That That's true, correct. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I usually reserve my speak, Wednesday, Wednesday afternoons for nothing. My calendar is blocked for Wednesday afternoons. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. ASAP. When did you start that? Have you always done that? No, but I started to get meetings every single day at every freaking hour. And I was like, I need to have a deep work time slot in my week where I can build an app or do things that I normally don't do anymore. Then I blocked Wednesday afternoon. So, yeah. Oh, you know, I think it is. It might be the founder of Udemy who's now doing maven.com. I'm not sure, but blocks it has, for his whole career has blocked off. It might not be him, has blocked off until I believe 1230 PM every day. So okay. no mornings. Also flexibility. I think blocking off time and not being on the schedule, especially if you're running a services business on everybody else's schedule, like just responding to their emails and also getting on calls. You really get nothing done if you're just constantly jumping. That's what I learned right. when I was building the agency. Yeah. Especially, yeah, I, I mean, people can see that I'm busy and they don't know what I'm doing though. So they just don't bother me, <laughs> which is good, right? I mean, <laughs> The goal is for them to figure out their own thing. I mean, they can slap You're, me and then is it? the answer. Do you not feel like you owe something to them? No, absolutely. A... I really don't like being a micromanager. Okay. So, and I expect that we well, bring over meant, people though. to work with us that are confident making their own decisions. Have that's... you ever hired someone that you thought had that skill set, but actually didn't? Yes. In fact, how many people would you say you've hired in your life? Not that many. I don't know. 20, 30? I'm trying to figure out the ratio of, so if you've hired 20, 30 people. didn't work out? Yeah. Five, six? It's a bad ratio. <laughs> is it less than 50? So first of all, is it less than 50%? Yeah. I mean, five That's, out of 30. Yeah. But are you quick? Once you recognize either it's not a good culture fit or for whatever reason, doesn't there's someone else out there that would be a better fit and add more value to the whole team? Are you quick to make the decision on firing or do you have a tendency to give them the benefit of the doubt for too long and then actually causing more damage potentially? I did that originally. And then I was like, screw it. You can't be worse without someone than having someone on board that just doesn't do a good job. And then you have to fix everything. And it's a mess, right? So I did that originally and then I stopped doing that. So right now I'm very quick to fire. It's like, this is not working especially nowadays that I run my own business. So we are very process oriented and we have documentation for everything. So there's an SOP for everything. If you don't even can follow the SOP and you screw up when you're calculating the tax for an invoice, then I can't help you, right? I can teach you a lot of things. It's a different thing teaching but someone. But some of the, there's the gray stuff though, like the customer experience, the communication, right? How to respond to things. Yeah, I mean, that can be taught, that can be learned. That's something that you figure out during working with someone, their personality maybe. But there are other things like, I would assume basic things like grammar, numbers, like simple math, right? I don't want nothing complex, just simple math. Calculate the tax for this invoice. Shouldn't be complicated. There's a freaking SOP in our notion. 
just read the thing, do the math, right? If they can do that, then three strikes and then you're out. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that because you said it twice, that there is somebody who actually messed up the tax at one point. Yes, I'm decent at math, but I expect anyone to be able to calculate the VAT for anything, right? It's a simple multiplication. So the state tax is, well, I, think I don't I... know, 6%. If your invoice is 100, how much is the VAT? Like six bucks, right? I mean, these very simple things. And it's not about math because sometimes I'll tell people, hey, the invoice is 115 with tax. How much is it without tax? I don't want you to give me the number. I want to understand how you would figure it out. Right? So you don't have to be okay. a wizard at math. I want you to understand how you think. That's good. Like your thinking steps. That's a good test that I do all the time because nobody knows the number, which is fine. But that's not what it's then about. express the way they think is very valuable. Right. It's like those questions. It reminds me of those questions that when you go interview banks, it's like, how many windows are there in New York City? Like right. no one knows the answer, but it's the thought process they want to hear of how you figure out like there's, okay, a block is one mile long. There's like six high rises that could fit and there's 30 floors. You know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a logic. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think first for 50% of people that may not know who you are, who's listening, who are you and how would you describe yourself and what you do? I'm Asus. I'm the founder of a business called Low Code Agency. We work small and medium businesses and entrepreneurs by building apps either for themselves as a side hustle, as a new business, or apps for companies that are already working and have processes that they want to optimize or streamline or automate, and then we help them do those things. So yeah, we work mainly with a tool called Glide Apps. We are certified experts. We're partners of Glide. We're partners of another automation tool called Integramat. And yeah, that's mainly what we do. We've done over 230 apps in a couple of years, two years in end. That's a lot. And what did you do right before doing this? I still have that business. It's a solar panel installation company. That you started? Yeah. You love solar panels? No, I didn't know anything about it. But before that, I had a job. I had the worst boss in the world. He was like a piece of shit, hostile and rude and terrible, like the worst thing in the world. Just to give you an example, one day he was like, I'm not going to pay you next month because I think that salespeople shouldn't be paid. It's commission only. And I had hey, a that's like a moral thing. So I was like, I can't stay here. This is terrible. So I had to leave. I told him, when you do that, I will leave. Like the month that you decide that you're going to pay us any more salespeople and it's commissions only, that'll be my last day at the company. So... U.S. company that installed a fiber optics network from Cancun to Tulum in Mexico. Oh, and I was a pre-sales oh. manager. So while they were building the network, we were pre-selling high sure. capacity broadband service to like hotels. And the person that was a, the sales manager? Originally, one of the founders hired me to do the pre-sales to develop this project. And then management hired this guy had lived in Cancun for many years. He's like a timeshare salesperson. So he had this mentality of everything has to be sold like timeshare. He didn't even know the difference between a gigabyte and a gigabit speed versus storage capacity. So many problems. But then the last one was like, yeah, we're not going to pay anybody anymore. This is going to be commission only. And I was like, dude, we're pre-selling. We don't even have the network. So I was like, I'm done. So you and got really my... smart and you left. <laughs> did you like it though? If the boss was nice, would you have liked it? Or did you not like the job? I like the job. It wasn't going to be my forever job. It was a stepping stone because I wanted to move to Cancun. I wanted to live in Cancun. And then it was like the reason, the easy way for me to move to Cancun with a job, with a salary. 
And that's when I took the job. I was in Mexico City before that. Why Cancun? I mean, Cancun's awesome, but that seems random. Yeah, I mean, I always had this idea in my mind that it's not even a business, but I always saw that there was an opportunity to sell something to service Americans, tourists, US dollars, get US dollars and spend locally. So I was like, how do I do that? I couldn't get a job. I mean, now it might be easier though, but a few years ago, I couldn't get a job in a US company as a Mexican, not living in the US, right? It's pretty much impossible. So I was like, how do I sell to Americans? I have to go somewhere that's full of Americans. And that's either Cancun or Cabo. Cabo is too small, Cancun is larger. So my destination, Cancun. And then I started looking for a job in Cancun. And then I found these American guys building this company. I reached out, they liked my profile. I had experience with internet technology and selling services, cybersecurity. So they liked my profile. They hired me, I came over to Cancun, and that's how I ended up here. Was your thesis correct? But it's funny though, there's a second part to that I have, which is now you're providing a service that has nothing to do with tourism, or am I wrong? No, you're right, but the end goal, which was selling to Americans, right now I have a US company, and we only, like 98% of our clients are in the US. So my thesis was right. But it's not because they come to Cancun. You could be in right. Brazil. Right. Yeah, now, yeah, now we're opening an office in Miami and all of that. But yeah, I mean, at the end, yeah. Wait, are you? Is that, yeah. you really are? So I had to be in New York for a health, I live in Miami. I'm in Cleveland now visiting family, but I'm moving back there in like two weeks. I mean, I was in 2017. It's awesome. Now everyone's there. Do you know where you're yeah. going to have the office? Not really. We either have an office in Brickell or we do something with one of our clients that we do a lot of work for them. And there's opening a new office. It's completely unrelated to whatever we do at low code, but we might end up doing, they can lease on us some space or something. We are still on that part. You need it for seven people? No, just for me. You can use my office for free if you want. I okay. appreciate it. I'm just telling you. There's like four extra desks, literally. Where is that? In Brickell? It's in Brickell, yeah. It's nice. at the WeWork. Okay. Ah, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. I pay for it, but I don't use it. Okay. Typical general <laughs> That's awesome though. Miami's great. And I haven't been there since everyone moved there, but it's pretty much where everyone, Silicon Valley went to Austin yeah. or Miami. Yeah. There's a lot going on and it's so near, like it's an hour and 20 minutes from Cancun. So yeah, being in the States makes a huge difference. I'm not trying to move. I'm not trying to live in the US, but just like networking and meeting clients in person, being there, you get better leads. You get a better network, get the word out of what you're doing. It's very valuable to be somewhere. I would push back against that, actually. Okay. You know why? What you about push the internet? Because you are American. So no, but I've lived overseas. Yeah, but the U.S. is your home, right? In yes. our case, I'm I mean, a client or a lead, like they hear my accent. I mean, we are a U.S. company, right? And we sell. Maybe it's the intelligence ourselves. that comes out of your mouth, not the accent. <laughs> 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 Maybe you're just drawing wrong conclusions. <laughs> I've done that my whole life. <laughs> so go ahead tell me why male america is the most evil thing ever and skewed there's this perception about software development in general which in many cases is a valid point where american companies u.s companies you have two options either you hire in the u.s that you hope or expect they'll be expensive and good or you hire someone either in eastern europe or india and it's probably going to be a shit show yeah or Guatemala and Colombia. I worked for... No, but you were technically... I mean, you know oh, people and you know... It would yes. be India. You're correct. Right. Very traditional thinking. Like, if you speak with a cleaning company in Wisconsin, that's their vision. Either I hire locally 
like locally in the city, in the state, or in the country, or I go to India and it's going to be a platform. So we sell ourselves. So we are a U.S. company, and being there provides like a higher value for our leads. We're not an overseas company. You're not hiring in the middle of nowhere in some other country. So you believe that a Miami office has a positive ROI for local agencies, where I would argue it's absolutely a negative ROI, probably. Like the rent that you pay and you're saying, but having that office is going to drive people to magically... No, 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 no. It's not just the office. Having the office, me spending more time in Miami, networking, meeting business owners, right? So it's like, it's the first step of like a roadmap. Okay, so you're doing something though where I bet you a lot, so a lot of people who would give the same answer as you and say that location matters would say that and move to Miami and never go to an event and then say it doesn't work. You It wouldn't work if that's the only thing they do, right? You're saying you're very active and going to take part in the community, yeah, old-fashioned. Exactly. That's the goal. Which is second best marketing besides word of mouth of someone else. Yeah, especially we're selling to, we have a lot of clients in South Florida. And then just like saying, hey, let's meet for coffee in a couple of days. And then you understand better their needs. You have to think that we work with very non-technical clients. People that are using either paper or Excel or a spreadsheet to manage their whole business. Their million dollar, a couple million, five million dollar business, right? So, I mean. Does that still blow your mind? It doesn't because I work in very traditional companies for some years and everything was paper-based. So I see that as normal. I've never worked with a company that did not use Google Sheets for something. Inefficient way. It was like copied and pasted data that's also somewhere else. I worked for a paper company. So everything was paper. Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. At that company, we made, we printed paper forms. Paper forms are the original spreadsheet. So it's a very long piece of paper and you can fill out 48 columns of paper. So it's a printed empty spreadsheet. Some people still use those things. There's no way anyone in this world, no matter how good you are at that, that is the most efficient way. Even if you're the best in the world at that. Absolutely not. It's never easy. Sales is never easy. But you have a very strong case and you're like, hey, I mean, and we clearly don't speak with these type of people that still use those things, right? But the healthcare industry, where every time you go to the doctor, you come into the office and you have to fill out 27 pieces of paper, right? That, that, that's that the worst industry. Form? Or law firms, another very paper-based industry. Those are called low-code clients. Yeah, exactly. And then in many cases, the law firm partner or the doctor that owns the clinic with 10 people, ideally, they expect a meeting. You can do a Zoom call and you might close them, but in person, it just works better. So having a physical presence in Miami, which is an hour from my home, is like the next step. And I think a lot of people actually undervalue or underestimate the value of the physical presence. I agree with you, and I never thought I would agree with that. But that can never go away. It can never go away. Right. And the other reason is a lot of people in the no-code world, freelancers or agencies, whatever, a lot of people are good, technically good, but they're bad at sales. And I see this like every other day, someone sends me a tweet, sends me an email like, hey, I'm trying to build my agency. I'm trying to start my business building no-code apps. How do you get clients? Right. I'm way better at sales than at building apps. So that's why I have a team today. So I really enjoy that. It's like very easy for me. I do enjoy the process. So I want to take advantage of that as well. So it's interesting you say that because I don't even know what selling means. It's great that you have like a process of selling. I feel like I've never sold anything in my life, but people have given me money for a service in return. However, I never learned selling. I don't think of myself as selling to them. I tell them not to pay I say, don't hire me and stuff like that. And they force it. 
maybe subconsciously know tactics that I learn and just don't recognize them? Is it innate or is selling something that's learned? Can everyone do it? Or is there something personality-wise you could be born with, in your opinion? I think that personality helps. I mean, I think that anyone can learn how to sell, but maybe you don't enjoy talking to people. I do cold email campaigns. Ryan and I get fuck you emails every other day. Like, why are you emailing me, right? I do enjoy the sales. I mean, it can be learned, but there's an aspect, which is- You're not scared of the denials. Exactly. Like, I don't care if people say no. And eventually we get a yes. The crazy thing is it could literally be in most businesses, a thousand no's and two yeses and you're a winner. <laughs> so I always think of it as law of large numbers, which is talk yes. to as many people as possible, right? Or is that- but that's why, wrong... I mean, it's not only sales. Like, yeah. It's marriage, right? Do you try, like how many girls did you try to hit on when you were a young kid or whatever? They all said kids. no. They all said no. And then one said yes, and then that's it. And maybe later on we divorce, whatever. And then you try again a hundred thousand times. And then one again says yes, and then you stay with them for <laughs> Yeah, like businesses. I mean, I started multiple businesses because people are like, oh, you're lucky because you found Glide right when they started. And I was like, yeah, at the same time, I found WordPress right when they started. And I did the first English to Spanish translation of WordPress. A lot of right, people so. came across Glide very early on. A lot of people are not working with Glide <laughs> as so earning an income. It's about luck and you have to execution, work and then eventually one has to work out, right? So it's a numbers game. Yeah. Are there no shortcuts in growing an agency? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> has this been the most difficult business that you've run or done so far? I actually kind of want to go back to what you said about how organized you are, your infrastructure internally. You know, you have all this structure that when you bring someone on, the onboarding is probably very smooth, which is often rare. Mostly there's a lot of friction with onboarding. That to me is the most important process. You've nailed it, or it seems like you have it under control. So that all stem from you starting as one person and doing all of that. And now it's there. Like, are you the one responsible for doing all of this? And then it's scaled. Is that how you scaled yourself? Or did you really just rock the sales and stuff and do a really good job hiring and guided everyone to do that stuff? Or did it start with you as a one-man show for a while? Yeah, I have done not everything clearly, but I've done everything related to that part, like setting up, like building the SOPs. And I started with a blank Notion page. And today we have, I don't want to say hundreds, right? But dozens of pages. There's a how-to for everything. And that has been something that I spoke a couple of years ago, three years ago with this guy, you probably know him, the guy that started many requests. It's a platform for agencies, right? So he had a Robin something. He's Dutch or French. He's a French accent or from the Netherlands. I zoomed with him, I remember. Yeah. It's a, port- they have a portal and all that stuff. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had an agency, sold the agency, and then was like, oh. there has to be a better way of managing an agency. We use so many tools. I'm going to build the tool for agencies. And then I spoke with him like three years ago. I didn't even have a team. And I was looking at his software. He was like, you're too early. You're not my client. But he said something. So he was like, every time you do something twice, document it. Either record yourself on a video. Do like today there are tools that you can do these things. Document it. So eventually when you have enough shit that you're doing every day, every week, every month, hire something, hire someone. And then tell them this you're going to do every day. Look at this video. This you're going to do every week, look at this video. And then this you're going to do every month. These are the videos or the documentation or the SOPs that you have to follow up. So hire early. A lot of people say don't hire or hire until you are completely overwhelmed. And I think I've always thought the opposite. Hire early because all of these menial tasks 
that someone else can do, or even you can automate with local tools, are not valuable. How much is it worth for you to something like check your whatever every day, right? It doesn't make any sense. So how much is it worth? Like, can you pay someone $5 an hour? Opportunity cost. And then you start, like in my case, I can sell, I can sell, I can sell, I can do something else. I can write a blog post, right? So you do it's a high, more, more profit, this. more cash yeah. flow, actually, even though you spend more. But I guess a lot of people out there, though, are probably saying, okay, I might agree with that, but I have no money to hire someone. Is then that why people don't hire? Today, you can hire a freelancer somewhere else in the world for 3 to $5 per hour. Okay, but are you going to maybe you just need a you... couple hours a day of help. You don't need to have like a full-time VA in your same time zone doing something. But let's say that you run a little business and you have to reach out to your clients on Instagram. Let's say that your niche client lives on Instagram. Instagram moms, okay. right? And you want to do like a campaign or you want to partner up with an Instagram account. That will get you users, clients, whatever. Are you going to manually go on Instagram files and send them a DM? Why don't you hire someone for $15 per day and they will send 200 DMs? Because I don't trust them controlling my DMs. And it feels like it's not authentic that it's not from me. And they think it's from me. I mean, you do, instead of having like one template, you do 15 different templates. So you tell them your VA on the first, like find an account, send them this one, then this other one. Then you have 15 different messages. It depends on what you want to do, right? But if you're in the high volume sales, right? I mean, are you going to spend three days of your workday sending DMs? You're going to get one response out of a hundred or 200. So you wouldn't believe how much time I have spent doing the most inefficient things like that. But oddly, I think it's just luck. I would say overall, it probably paid off, but your strategy of hiring someone, I was thinking you meant full-time, you need to have someone that's doing all this stuff. You're saying, just get these hacks here and there, free up an hour here, free up an hour there. And that's going to add up to another project, which adds up to like another, and it just builds on itself, which I think is a really good way to look at it. I think when I first did it, I looked at it like, I need full-time. That's a lot of hours. Do you trust a VA with, with your email, with writing email? Not blast emails, like an actual client response email? We have a lot of templates. We use a tool, it's called Missive App. It's a shared inbox and we have a lot of templates. So she has instructions. You so use Missive App, huh? Yeah. And then if, How if long she have you has to do for a year now, for eight months. I posted great that product. in the Stack by group to say that, because he was like, uh, any email service? I'm like, Missive, Missive, it's great. I used Friend, which is very expensive and Missive is great. It's also expensive, but it's great. It's very expensive, but it's good. And just the integrations are awesome. If you use yeah. those CRMs. Yeah. So yeah, a ton of templates. If she has to do an answer or an email, that's not a template. She writes email, tags me. I can read it, change anything. So she's doing 80% of the job. I just come in, do a couple of edits. It's ready, click send. If you had to give someone, where would you start? What's the first thing that you would tell someone that most likely a lot of people are doing? that they should give up that two hours and get someone else to start doing it and free it up for themselves. It's hard to say because everybody has different routines or everybody does different things. But I think it's not about what, it's about how. So you have to be aware, what are you doing every day and what are you doing repetitively every day that someone else could do. So when you find that thing, document it, like write it down, take a couple of screenshots or do a loom recording and record yourself, share your screen and click here. I log in with this email. I check this, I create this screenshot, I send it to a client, right? And then when you have five of those tasks, daily tasks documented, then you hire someone, send them the documentation, the videos, and tell them this is what you're going to do. And then that's it. It's going to take them a couple of hours a day or an hour or maybe three, whatever. It doesn't matter. But you're just going to spend 10 hours, well, no, $10 a day. 
you're going to save a lot of you're not even actually spending doing any overtime because you're actually doing that task itself. You just decide to click record on it. You actually are doing it anyways, yeah. Yeah. right? The task is still being done, just not by you. If there's something atypical, they reach out, they send you whatever it's like, DM, whatever, and then you take over. But then 98% of the time, nothing will happen. The task will always be the same. So if you can't automate it with software, you have someone else do it. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I struggled with it, which was just what's that, at what point do you start bringing, and you're just saying, just do it early. You could change your mind. It's not like that big of an investment. The people who probably complain probably never made a sale. And so therefore they probably don't have a business, but they want to hire. A lot of people want to hire before they have yeah, I mean, Yeah, you just want to hire for the sake of hiring. It's a very stupid idea and you shouldn't. But if you're a business owner, right? And then you have a lot of things going on. You have to do your taxes, sale. I mean, there are a lot of things when you're a small business owner that, that you got to do. Send emails, right? So you figure out, you prioritize stuff. So this isn't worth my time. Someone else can do it. Hire for one hour a day. And then when you do that, you'll say like, oh, this other thing, it could be automated or someone else could do it. Then document it, delegate. It'll be like a breakthrough. It'll be like, oh, I should. Yeah, I think so. So I've never even asked you this. Low code agency. You mostly use no code. Is that true? Yeah, now we take some projects that require a little bit of code, like some Python things or JavaScript or simple stuff. Python is not that simple. What tools are you using the most today? Like 99% of our projects are built in Glide and Integromat. So I say that we build octopuses. So the brain is a Glide app and the legs, we use Integromat, which is just like Zapier for whoever doesn't know Integromat, and that connects your app to your CRM, your QuickBooks, whatever other services that you use. Why not Zapier? Because of cost? I like Integromat better. It's more scalable. It's easier to manage when you have a very large automation, a multi-step setup. And with Zapier, there's a limit in terms of how many variables you can have in, in terms of like even else within your Zap. I think there's a limit. I don't remember the number. Integromat, you can have not unlimited though, but like multiple, there's no limit. So it's more difficult to learn, probably. I tell people, if you just want to connect app A to app B in one step, Zapier is good enough. If you want to do multi-steps, filtering, and let's say that you publish your blog post in WordPress, and then you want to create posts in all your social media, and then take that and send that to a Facebook ad, and then convert that to an Airtable, you use Integromat because in one step, in one scenario, you build the whole thing. In Zapier, you would need multiple steps to achieve the same thing. Right. Yeah, I think it's funny. The reason I'm laughing is because the people who love Integromat are very passionate about the fact that they love Integromat much more and how much more robust it is. And they make that very clear. But sometimes our clients already have Zapier and then they're like, yeah, let's not use Integromat. Let's use our Zapier and you do the automations over there. And we get a little bit frustrated when we hit some limitations in Zapier. So that's the reason that we like Integromat better. Because you said 98 or 99% is built with the brain being 90, wide. 90%, yeah, 90% because right now we're building Webflow. We're working on becoming like a Webflow partner in the next coming months. We have a couple, a few projects in Bubble. We've done one in software. Yeah, that's it for now. So sometimes if a project is right, we might build it in a tool that is not Glide. Which is great. So you are agnostic to the tool to choose the best one, but your expertise, I guess it comes down to then you make it sound like Glide with Integromat can do everything. What's something someone should never build with that combination? Yeah, the hard limit with Glide is the size of the database. If your database is on top of a Google Sheet, 
the limit is 20, 25, 30,000 rows, depending on the structure of the database. If you use Glide tables, which is Glide's own native database, you can go up to a few tens of thousands of extra rows. So yeah, I was saying that the limitation with Glide is the size of the database. So, okay, so what you that go mean? from 25 to 40, 50,000 rows of data, and then that's it. That's a limit for Glide. What do you mean, where? Are you talking about Google Sheets? For people who don't have any idea. So yeah, everything that you do in an app creates a record. A record is a row in your Google Sheet, right? So apps that require a lot of rows, a lot of records, let's say we have this lead that they wanted an app. They buy these tickets, like online tickets in bulk. So they go log into Ticketmaster, buy thousands of tickets for Lady Gaga's concert next month, right? Then they resell them outside. On one day, they create 10,000 records because they bought 10,000 tickets, right? With Glide, there's a limit in terms of how many records your database can have. If you use Google Sheet as your database, the limit is 25, 30,000 records. If you use Glide tables, it's a little bit more. Yes. You cannot have a Google Sheet with more than 30,000 rows. You can, but then the app is very slow. Oh, okay. Depends on how you build the app. But yeah, you go, there are some very complex apps that at 20,000 rows, it's already very slow. Some other apps, depending on the complexity of the app. But that's the main limitation with Glide, the size of the database. And can you, and can you put the 20, 30,000 rows? It's like, sounds like a medium number, but in terms of like all the apps you built, is that not that much? Or is that a lot more than people usually need? Is it much more than I think it is? Or is it a lot less? Depends on what the app does, right? Let's say that you have a healthcare clinic and every day you have 20 patients. And then we log every interaction or every patient that comes into the clinic. So by the end of the year, you have 6,000 rows. So that's fine, right? After four years, we have to do a backup of four years ago. So it doesn't really matter. However, if your company is data intensive, let's say that you want to manage your inventory and you have 20,000 SKUs, 20,000 items, then it doesn't make sense to build the app in Glide because just your inventory uses pretty much the whole database. And then if you want to track inventory coming in or out. So then what do those type of apps have to use? Can they use Google tables? No. That's the same limitation. It's not the same, but it's from 20, 30,000 rows, you go up to 30, 50,000 rows. So not much more scalable. You need to build that software, that solution in a different tool like Bubble or DraftBait, or there are a bunch of new tools that handle databases that can have hundreds of millions of records. You said Airtable was how many? I don't know about Airtable, but when you need a scalable app that needs millions of records, then you use a different database. And the front end, instead of being live, is a different platform. Okay, so a marketplace. People love marketplaces. Yes, <laughs> too much. In fact, before I even say marketplace, do you get asked for a certain kind of app an overwhelmingly amount of times compared to other things, or is it pretty distributed amongst a lot of random stuff? A couple of years ago, a lot of marketplaces. Nowadays, marketplace is a very typical request. Matching apps is something that very much related to marketplaces. And then not only Tinder-like apps, which we get asked a lot for, but we did a very cool app for matching podcast hosts and podcast guests. Oh, wow. Another That's pretty great. cool app for horses. So it's a, a marketplace or a directory of horses. And then the clients create their profile and say, I'm looking for horse that is between three and five years old in Europe and they do whatever, raining or whatever type of sports horses do, 
right? And then they get a notification of whether there's a new force in the platform. So a lot of matching apps. That's something very common. Have you heard of the app, literally the domain? It's smartmatchapp.com? No. I know those founders, it's exactly what you're talking about, but it's not its own tool. It's a tool that has to be used like with Glider, with something else. It's like that matching perspective in it. And they literally make, they have a business that very well off SaaS subscriptions of a matching application. That's all it is. It's like an add-on and it makes a ton of money. So that blew me away. It's crazy. A lot of things that are so niche are not as niche as you think, or they're niche, but it's still such a big market. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So when someone comes to you for an app, you know, it could be anything. Something that I've thought a lot about and that concerns me about where the world's going is that I do believe that when there's something new, a technology shift, like for example, no code, that it's good to be a generalist and to good at a few things, but like an expert at none. But like, you don't just say, I only do marketplaces because you don't really know what the market wants. You kind of just say yes to everything. Sure. And But as the technology is around for a significant period, or not even significant for a few years, what's going to happen is people become obsessed with certain tools and are experts and the best at those tools. And so if you stay a generalist, no one's ever going to go to you for anything because there's someone who's mm-hmm. an expert in each one. So yeah. do you ever think about that in terms of like the future of low code and of the agency and specializing or becoming niche or... I think right now our niche is Glide App. Is it just going to be an agency that just come to us and we'll do whatever you ask? Or do you think there's maybe an advantage to say, hey, all we do is e-commerce apps for shoes? I see it in a different, from a different perspective. We are the largest, the most important, the leading, the best Glide Apps agency. There is no one like us in the market. If you want a Glide App, we are the best, period. We have the best processes. We have the most experience the most amount of apps built. I mean, a lot of experts or certified experts are involved with Glide, just like I am. But we are very, very, very good at Glide. We are the best at Glide. And then I think that we might end up adding repertoire some other tools. Is that a good idea? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't know the answer. I see both sides. Sometimes people end up trusting me or us for some stupid reason on the discovery call. And they're like, you and I spoke about this like ages ago. They're like, why don't you build it? And I'm like, I don't take those kind of projects. Uh, so <laughs> we've been speaking with contractors and trying them out. It's something that I've been working since the last quarter of last year. I think it's not healthy to be at the same time, 100% dependent on Glide. Like what if Glide CEO hates me for some stupid thing I say? Or David tweet, doesn't hate and me. And then he's like, you're on the platform. Then they love you. Employed. I'm sure they love so, you. I mean, I'm one of their top probably 20 customers. But it's not but that. Anyway, it's, that's not the point. They can change the direction of, they can limit how many apps you could build. You know, they can change like a rule that then affects your business, not like necessarily your relationship. It could yeah, be. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Something can happen. So I don't like that. It's not good for the business, no matter what I feel or want or whatever. So what do you uh, do so to reconcile? We need to find another tool, start building with that. We get comfortable. We become like a partner with them. Just like Integromat, and we could do more Integromat projects. I don't want to be like 100% tech agnostic, but maybe have a couple of tools. Like if you have this kind of need, we use Glide. If you have this other type of need, we use whatever. We haven't figured out that yet. We've been building bubble apps. We've been building software apps. We've been building Webflow websites. You know, I was a guinea pig in this experiment of being agnostic to any tool and yeah. just choosing the best one. But I believe if it's Glide, when I say Glide, I mean Google Sheets too. 
and Airtable. And I really don't want to say this one, but I'll say it just because the market will pay for it. Bubble and Webflow. And then along with the Integral Matters Zapier, that's pretty much. And now with like softer or stat, you know, on top of it. That's 95%. I mean, if you got Webflow in there and then you got Airtable in there and then you got Integral Matters. I don't know what you else can you do everything. need. Sure. There's neat functionalities within like app sheet that Glide doesn't have, let's say, and vice versa. But for the most part, if you get Webflow in that repertoire, I feel like that's a big link. I mm-hmm. think there's these new tool called Flutterflow. I don't know if you've looked into that. Pretty cool. Native apps. All of this is related to what's the type of client that we want. Like where do we want to grow? And then based on that, because it's different, the type of client that needs a native app, the type of client that needs a dashboard, right? A dashboard is an internal tool for a mid-sized oh. company. Oh, right. A native app is a B2C app. It's related to your vision, where do you see yourself in a couple of years, which is the type of client that you want to target. The more important thing, which is you need to see which founding team is your bullish on, like the glide, because the growth, right? But I would add like a retool, a jet admin or an internal in that repertoire too. The amount of dashboard requests is, that was the most I experienced by far. Internal and external, like portals, things like that. With that type of request, they usually have a better, higher budget. Like it's not yes. the same, like I have this idea for a Tinder for dogs, right? Crippled dogs, very very stupid. And I have a couple thousand dollars. Or like we are a business and we need a dashboard for our clients. We have 107 clients. We're making whatever, 20 millions of dollars of revenue. And we are sharing Excel spreadsheets with our clients. So we're willing to spend 20K dashboard. Everyone like, needs a okay. retool. Everybody. Right, exactly. That's the other one. I would just go and just hire the best one and be like, okay, we got that solved. Wouldn't you, why not do that strategy if you're talking about hiring? Hire the best Webflow person. Hire the best, whatever makes the best glide. Well, besides who you have. And then just, oh you're good. God, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, at the end, the best Webflow developer has work. Right. They, they don't, they don't want to be hired. Them. Yeah, exactly. So that's the learning curve, but that's a curve that you have to figure out. Like but right you now, can this... work with them. That's They want the work, right? That's how I think the ecosystem has to work within this no-code world. The problem I have with a lot of agencies, and you're not like this, is that I find there are, for example, an agency that has 60 full-time bubble developers. And so a client will go to that, or someone will go to them and say they want something built. Well, even if it shouldn't be built on bubble, they always recommend that because they have full-time salaries to pay of those people, yeah. but they're giving a recommendation that is not authentic. Do you think that happens or is that something that's in my head? Because I think that happens. I think it happens, but at the same time, I do know that clients shop around, right? And then when they come As to they us, should. like I'm going to say, hey, a lot of people have shopped around for bubble apps when they come to us or they come to us and then they shop around for bubble. And I'm like, hey, this can be building blood and it's going to cost you whatever, $7,000. In Bubble, same thing is going to cost you twenty-three because it's a large platform. Be you have to do more, right? It might not be worse. And then at the same time, another one comes in and I'm like, hey, I can't build this. You want, your idea is pretty cool, pretty good, pretty big. We don't take these kind of projects. Go find somewhere else. And these are the tools that I would suggest that you look into. I like the idea, something that I see with a lot of agencies. It's not a mistake. Like everyone runs their business anyway let's say Webflow, right? So you find a very good Webflow developer, they can take more work. So you hire them as a contractor for a project. Then a week later, it's an eight week project. A couple of weeks later, and you pay them $10,000. A couple of weeks later, they close their own deal, $20,000. They really don't care about your project, 
right? So it's hard. They might be professional and they might do the work, but if you have Slack in your team, they're not going to be there engaged and answering questions. It's not their priority. So I would rather, same way that I did with Glide, I learned myself, I started small. Yeah, how did you start? How did you come across Glide? How did you start? Why did you get so into it? Like, I don't even know that story. I found Glide in Product Hunt once when they launched originally like two and a half years ago. Are you a big Product Hunt? Would you be on Product Hunt every day or you were randomly on it that day or what? Yeah, I checked Product Hunt like once every month. And And then I don't know if that day, if I saw day that Glide launched or I was like checking out previous days or something. What caught your attention? Like make an app from a Google Sheet. I've done like project management for software. So even though I'm not technical, I'm not a software engineer or anything, apps are very logical. It's if then else times infinitum. That's how your brain works. Yeah, exactly. I've seen it. That's how my brain works. And a Google Sheet or spreadsheet can do, that's what it does. If this, then whatever, right? Yeah. So (laughs) conceptually apps are not that complicated, but then building software is complicated. And I was like, I'm too old to learn how to code. And I tried it. And, you know, how old are you? I'm 36 now. Shut up. You could still do what you could totally change your career and do like a, be like a professional swimmer or something. Who knows? Or like go feed birds. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to learn how to code. In a global marketplace, a kid that is 20. So the kid was born in the year 2000, right? It's crazy to say that when you're 36 and you were born in the eighties, a 2000 born baby can do what you do 10 times faster, 10 times better. So learning something when you're 30, you can do it and you might learn something, but you won't be, in my in my opinion, very opinionated opinion. Like in my case, I wouldn't get hired by a US company as a software developer if I learned to code at 33 years old. You really and I'm not a math least. I yeah. would think that's totally not. I think you're talking about like if someone's 60 or in your 30s, you know, this, what's the name of this school that they do? You don't pay for anything until you get hired. This guy's on Twitter, like he's very big on Twitter. And he has this school that you start your like, oh. software engineering degree. Mm-hmm. So you start your, your program, your degree, you don't pay anything. And then when you start working, they take 30% or whatever X amount of money from your check. So I was just about to get into that. I was really thinking of getting into that. And it was complicated because you have to be a U.S. resident. So I was thinking my way through that when I found Glide. And I was like, okay, fuck this shit. I'm never going to learn to code. I can build my own apps with a Google Sheet. That's how I ended up with Glide. So, well, actually, before I move on, I just want to, so just the name of that, I want to know the name of that school. But the first time I came across it was, like I said, what's Scooter Braun's brother's name? Pencils of Promise founder. I don't know if you could look it up. What something Braun. Pencils of Promise is very successful. They build schools for kids in Africa. I know Gary V's on the board. They're kind of like, I put them in charity water. As... It's Lambda School. Oh, Lambda. Okay. And then just look up Pencils of Promise founder. And then tell me his first name. Adam Brown. Yeah, Adam Brown. And so write in Adam Brown School or something. It's something you. And the way it was set up, and I think he was the first one to do it. It's a shame like WeWork bought it to shut it down. But the whole thesis was, see if you could find the name of the school. Mission U? Yes, Mission U. I knew there was a U. So the way it was structured was, it was genius, I thought. It was, you don't pay any money and it's very collaborative classes. But what they did was, is the companies that people want to work for at that time, like the cool ones, they would go to Apple and Uber and all those people and say, hey, you bring in someone, you need to hire a data analytics person. You bring in your data analytics manager to teach the course 
which will prepare them for the job. And they're guaranteed to you hire one of them mm-hmm. to do that job. And the school okay. is, is like a specific wait, training wait. program. Yeah. And then only if and when the person makes above $55,000, right. then the school gets 10% until it's paid back to pay for the next class. Exactly. Cool yeah. concept. So now back to it. So you went to Product Hunt on this very special day. What year is this, by the way? Like, well, do you remember when? Probably three year? years ago when Light first launched on Product Hunt. Do you remember the month and year? Yeah, probably, I think March. I'm pretty sure they launched in March originally. Of what year? February 12th, 2019. <laughs> oh my gosh. You there? Oh my gosh. February, That's not that long February ago. February 2019. I- and so you came across it about a month after yeah, they launched. No, that day, like probably either that day or a couple of weeks later, I found that create mobile apps from Google Sheets. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So and then I built you did first, and then I built a second one. What'd you build? And then I started first spending a lot, of money, a lot of time building Clyde. And then I started spending a lot of time on the forum, like learning. I mean, it was brand new, like probably there were... 50 people in the forum, right? Nobody was there. But were you building to solve a problem or you were doing it because it was fun to you? I built an app for my solar panel installation company in order for my team to be able to go and take like a site survey. So instead of doing the site survey and taking pictures and sending them in WhatsApp, then we had a form, it's just a simple form, right? And then they take measurements and take pictures and all that. So simple thing. But then I did another one for an Airbnb to centralize like where you can have breakfast and the house rules, the Wi-Fi password, all of these things that the Airbnb owners get asked a million times a day. Have you templatized that one? Because I've thought of that yeah. one for a while. That- Actually, I started like my business, this Glide-related business with that. So I built this app for a friend and then I went out and I got in touch with 350 Airbnb owners and we sold a few. Wait, how? How? Networking and, no, and meeting like- people. Like what? No, I mean, like, did you go to an event that was for Airbnb hosts and met them or like it was online? At the end of that process, I did. But what I did was a lot of Airbnb hosts in Cancun, they tried to sell transport and experiences like a sailboat or carrette or whatever. The Parasailing. Yeah. So the hosts were with tourism companies that handle all of those, that operation, right? So I go to these monthly business owner luncheons and I had a friend. She owns this tourism company. I pitched her the idea. So I told her, hey, let's integrate these, like your services into a custom app per Airbnb and you will sell more tours. I'll sell my app for trade dollars a month or something. And then I got a few like hotels and Airbnbs. So yeah, that's how I started. And well, first of all, did the solar company still use that app or maybe it's been modified? Yeah, yeah. Like, is it the same one or you I mean, redone? It changed. It's probably my crappiest app because I haven't <laughs> done any work. <laughs> it's an old app. Um, yeah, we still use that. How long did that first app take you? Just to give people some perspective on, you knew nothing about it. So you went in, did you read an instruction manual or you just pulled it up and started playing? Yeah, pulled it up, started playing, opened the documentation, the instructions, then the Glide Builder. I spent, I don't remember, three, four days maybe. Less than a week. Yes. And did you, and you, you're not a technical person. You don't know how to code or do you? I started business. I have no idea. I've never coded in my life. (laughs) Okay. So would you say with confidence that if someone says, I can't build this cleaning app to check off the rooms and stuff and glide, it'll take me too long. I can't figure it out. I don't know. Google Sheets. 
would you say that would you call bullshit on that and say you just haven't tried or haven't tried hard enough i think that's something important is that i already had even though i'm not technical i had this let's say way of thinking this very logical process oriented way of thinking based on what i had done before and another business that i had tried which was making software like traditional software for lawyers so you have to think in a very structured way in order to be able to build an app yourself. Of course, anyone can build an app, but an app that works without all the bells and whistles, but an app that works, you have to think. I see a lot of very creative people have a very hard time getting an app or building an app themselves because their mind just runs to so many places at the same time. What's the solution to transfer or give what you're saying, this thought process you have, how do you teach that? How do you share that? How do you give that to someone else so they have it? And then how can you teach a mindset? I've spoken with someone about it for a long time, and I don't think that's something that can be taught. Like we try to figure out a way, when I was working with another no-code agency before, uh, we were trying to think of a way. I took all of the calls with the clients. They came up with the idea, and they ended up 45 minutes later with a sketch with a wireframe of their app idea. And that was something that I never figured out how to train someone else to do. So if I'm understanding correctly, the person that you were talking about that's creative, but you see struggles because they don't think structurally, they're just screwed. They can't, they'll never be able to figure. They, they will come never... to us and then we ask a lot of questions. Do you think there's it, no it... order at all during the call, but at the end, we convert that into something. What I'm trying to get to though is, if someone's listening that is a creative and let's say a smart person, but just is struggling to build something with Glide, which I'm sure has happened to tons of people, where would you point them even just to give them a greater probability of becoming better, like educational material, someone to watch or just do play around with the app yourself and don't watch anything? Like just what tactics would you say would you wish you were told? I would say like ask for help, but you have to be... But at the same time, someone who is very creative will have a very hard time explaining logically what they're trying to do. Let's just say someone just, they want to build, they want to use Glide and they learn by courses or YouTube or podcasts or communities, maybe like on MakerPad or Circle. Where would you recommend someone goes first to really get the biggest head start on Glide? Depends on the content they like. If they like reading content, like instructions, Glide's documentation and Glide's forum. The forum is great and people of the community, everybody is very much engaged. Like someone can ask a question in less than an hour, they'll have two or three answers with videos, with screenshots, with like guides, step-by-step -step guides. The community is great. There wow. are a lot of videos on YouTube. I have 45 videos on YouTube, like how to do everything, I mean, not everything. But you can build an app just following my videos, which are very I've, boring. I've messaged you about your videos before. I love yeah, they're very boring, but they are step-by-step, -step, right? So That's because you're not entertaining as a human, but... I'm not, exactly. I mean, there's this oh. guy, Darren Alderman, he's another certified expert in Glide. He's very young, so he's very he does like TikTok videos in YouTube for Glide-related things. He's very good. So there are a few of us that make video content in YouTube free. I haven't seen a paid, a good paid course in Glide because in the community, we all do all, all of this for free. You give it all for free? Like, all, that's what you said? Yeah. So you're telling me that someone can learn how to get through their app or even how to build an app by asking questions and it costs $0? Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. 
like 0. 0.00 is that correct yeah yeah or around time out? you have to spend time and and reading and trying and work i mean you have to do the work right otherwise they'll fail or they end up hiring someone but it's very easy nowadays to build a glide app because there's so much content online like on youtube and the community and that's free. And so let's say someone listens to this and they're intrigued by Glide and they start, how would you recommend on the business side to get started with clients or their first client, you know, outreach, is it internet, local stuff? How would someone get started getting work and actually getting paid once they do learn how to build it? Talking to people, right? When you talk with your friends, when you speak with your friends, like your friends, your friends, your friend that has a small business and they have a cleaning company and they have 15 contractors. They have right now a huge problem because contractors leave because they find another job, whatever. How do they manage? Like just asking questions, right? How do you manage your business? You have 10 contractors. You have a cleaning business. How do you get clients? And they're going to tell you, I don't know, I do paper flyers or something. And then how do you clients book your service? They text me. Oh, okay. Opportunity number one, Calendly. Why don't you set up the service? It's free. And then you can link your Google calendar to this service and then people book for themselves and then they can even pay you. Okay, step number one. And then how do you manage? So you got a client, they paid you, who do you send? Who of your contractors is available? I don't know, I have like a shared WhatsApp group and I send a text, okay. What if there's an opportunity there where you could have like an app, your own app for very cheap, you just pay $32 a month and all your contractors are there and they can bid for the project or you can assign a cleaning service to someone. Like how much would you pay for that? And I think that at that the beginning, it's, it's not about the price. It's not about how much money you're going to make when you start selling an app. Because the first app that I sold, I sold for $200, I think. I was going to say, would you actually recommend, you know, someone that yeah. they don't know. They never said the you Airbnb did apps I did for free. Yeah. You did it for but free. I had four Airbnbs, like real Airbnbs. And I was like, hey. The next guy I met, I'm like, hey, these four Airbnbs are making more money because they have their own app, right? So you did so you did a free app that drove traffic to four paid apps? I did or... four free apps. Okay. And then did that lead to additional business in the future? Yes. First, because now you have a portfolio. And even though you're not selling, like this is my portfolio because don't be an ass, you have something to show, right? Look at this app. Look at how it works. You're not just selling your words, you're selling something, it's virtual, but physical, real, right? So at the beginning, it's just about starting and, and getting experience. Okay. Because do you think that sometimes people actually sell too early before they're ready? They sell something that maybe they can't build? Yes. Unfortunately, that happens all the time, especially with these no-code tools that appear to be easier or people think they're easier than they actually are. And we've seen sad things like they hired someone that someone didn't deliver. We have people that sell apps and then they come to us like, hey, I have a client and they want this and we can't do that. Can you help? So and they you can't take it. a project, that's fair. I mean, just say no. Like, I don't know. In my case, at the beginning, there were projects that we couldn't do. I mean, outside of Glide, but some other tool, right? And then it was like, hey, we can do it, but I can put you in touch with someone else. And then, hey, Mr. Someone else, I have a lead. If you get this client, will you give me 10%? They're going to say yes, right? And then you may have a little bit of money. And maybe you end up being involved in the process and you learn how to manage a client, how to build an app in a different tool. Yeah, I think that people, 
it's like right now it's the shiny object syndrome, no code, still is, still might be. And people are like, oh, I have no technical knowledge, but I can build an app and I'll charge a couple grand for this. And then they, it's bad. The client isn't happy. Instead of learning, they just try to deliver something that they couldn't do. Yeah, that, that happens a lot in the industry, no code, I, I think. I think that no code right now is or might still be the shiny object, the shiny object syndrome. So a lot of non-technical people are like, I can do this, I'll figure it out. And they, they take something that they can't handle, they deliver a bad project, the client is unhappy because it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. They will never get recommended by that client. So don't do that, right? If you don't know, if you can't do it, talk with someone else. It's very easy nowadays. There are a lot of experts and agencies. If you reach out to them and say, hey, I have a project. I can do it. You can lie. Like, I don't have capacity for this project. I'll give that project to you and you give me a 10% referral fee. But that's, say, yes, that's actually, that's actually a good strategy. That's a good strategy because actually, I don't know, eight months later, that person might do the same, do it back to you just because they think, you know, like they, they're not ready for a certain type of project, but you are. And so it goes back and it goes all over. Yeah. But it's building that network of really good people that you can rely on. And, you know, everyone has. And don't screw up your client, right? Don't try to take, don't put in your mouth what you can do. So the project is too big for you. Just say no, find someone else, refer it to someone else. Otherwise, word of mouth is like the number one way of getting clients. Always if you will do a be. bad job with a client, you'll never get word of mouth. You're fucked. So don't do that. That's how all your business is probably, it's probably a lot of it's coming like that now and will forever. The amount of business we don't know that do extremely well and they don't advertise, it's just word of mouth is unbelievably high. But we don't, people understand yeah, it. Yeah. They think it's, we got to run specific Facebook ads. It's your quality of work. Would you agree? Yes. You have to understand what you can do and what you can't. And then when I started Glide, no one was building Glide apps because no one was using Glide. And not because Glide was new, right? But, but there I'm, might be no demand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right now, let's say Glide projects go from a couple grand to 20 grand, right? So someone is on Twitter and they see like, oh, hey, Sue saw an app for 10 grand, a Glide app. I'm going to do the same and I'm going to charge $3,000 because I don't have any experience, but I like no code and I think I can do it. If you don't do things right, if you take more than you can take in terms of the project, you're like, it's better to say no, or it's better to go down the ladder and say, I'm just starting. I'm going to start charging $500. I'm going to tell my friends, the business owners I know, Hey, I'm starting, I'll do this for free or I'll do this for $500. And then you're going to charge a thousand and then you're going to charge two. But you have validated yourself with yourself. You know what I mean? Like yeah. now you know you can do it. But how do you know that? Like think about it. When you're starting your agency, you're just starting out. You need to make money, right? It's very exciting. The very first person that's willing to pay you. That's a very exhilarating thing. Probably hard for a lot of people to say no to that. I feel like that could be a mistake, right? And then what happens is the actual ecosystem, like the demand for NoCo is just going so high. So if you're in it, just more people are interested in working with you. How do you know though, when you're that next client's going to be too much where the other projects are going to take a hit or how do you recognize that balance without ever screwing up the balance to then recognize it? Yeah. I don't know the answer to your question, but I can tell you what I've done. I have even gone to the case where we built something before sending a proposal just to make sure that it can be done. Right? So wait, wait, wait. by the time, so, so can you be specific? Client, 
I can't because it's under an NDA, but a client wanted something so specific, so unique that I was not sure that it could be built in Glide. So I was like, in order to give you a price, give me a couple of days. We build a thing, we build the automation, it worked. And then I went back to them and say, yeah, here's the pricing. So before we send a proposal and then I was, if we wouldn't be able to do it, I mean, that would be like, so depressing for me. Like, yeah, you gave us money and then we couldn't deliver. So now what? I'm going to return your money. So we actually build the whole thing without getting paid with a signed proposal. And after we sent a proposal and then they ended up. Waiting. But they very well, you know, right, could have not have said no. And so you would have been, been okay times. with that still. You still would have done the same strategy. Yeah, I have to, yeah, I have to be sure that I can do it before saying yes to a project. And if that means spending time, spending billable hours to do something, I would rather go that way and make sure like all of our clients have given us five out of five stars in the rating tool that we in clutch. And that is because I know that we will deliver, we'll over deliver. And I know that not just because I trust myself or I trust my team, which I do, but sometimes we even go to the case of building things before even winning the wow. project. I just hope, because I fully subscribe to that. And I absolutely believe in the beginning, doing stuff for free is actually a very smart investment that actually has a huge ROI. And you're basically doing this as almost like, a, this is like kind of a principle, a business principle of yours, is being able to prove it before, make sure that you can deliver before you commit to anything which is a great thing. It's a really great thing. But I worry that in the agency world, I don't want to say cutthroat, but there's just so many sharks and things. Like there's so many people going at it for these projects that it's they'll do whatever they can I just to win if you, it. If you're just starting, no, I don't agree. If you're just starting, coming again back to my example, you are having a beer with your friend. He runs a cleaning agency. He has no idea about agencies building software. He has never thought about that. He will not bid. He will not make an RFP and send it over to someone. Like This is true. <laughs> right? So it doesn't matter. I really think that's irrelevant. You think, you think they would the case. because you do, but they don't. Yeah. I mean, that might be the case if someone's like a Fortune 500 company is, is having an RFP for a $100,000 project. I mean, they, of course, go out and quote and all that. But you can still but ask. They still might buying. need something. No. Just true, ask. But they go through that route and they get proposals from a bunch of agencies and that is a different world it, it's cutthroat and sharks or whatever but your buddy he won't like he has no idea what you're building i mean i tell this to a lot of people we have clients that don't know that their app is building glide and it's not because we're hiding anything i mean they end up figuring i mean in my proposal it says glide, but they don't know because they don't care because it fixes the problem they have in their business right so that took me a long time to learn that's a yeah, true, it's very true. Relevant. And a lot of people are like, oh, I have to sell Glide. It's like, dude, you don't have to sell Glide or Bubble or Adele or anything. You're selling a solution. Can you fix the issue, the pain, the problem? They don't care. I mean, if you're it's speaking true. with a 2000 employee company that they have an IT department and a software developer, they will ask a lot of questions. But if you're telling me their body that has 10 contracts, they don't want to get fired. And he's spending, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then small businesses making good money in need of automation, in need of a very small, simple Glide app that they can pay a couple grand dollars or $10,000, there are millions of those in the States. So There's start there. Massive. Don't Not even just the forget States. about You're... your website, forget about ads, go and talk to your friends, go talk to your 
whatever, you go to a networking event, whoever you end up sitting next to, if you tell them, I mean, and developers joke about this all the time. What do you do? Software. Oh, I have this idea, right? And they're like, but in our case, we don't say, we say, tell me more. Because we can idea. help you and it's going to cost you like nothing. It's great. I see the opposite. I've done the opposite with a lot of things like, oh, you know what? Wait till the website's perfect. Cause that, or wait till we, but okay. But hold on. In all fairness, it's easier for you to say all this now when people come to you because you've done 230 of them successfully and you're, they're referred and you have a reputation. If someone's just starting there, no one knows them. They don't know anything. Right. So they have no credibility. There has to be someone that takes a leap of faith with the trust. How could they best position? What advice would you give them in terms of making that first sale or like, how would you approach a sale? And are there strategies that work better than others that when you don't have a portfolio could get someone to take a chance on you? I think that something similar to what I ended up doing, which was not on purpose, might work. So go to Product Hunt, one of these websites. Find a tool that you like. Maybe you like design, so maybe you like doing websites. So obviously Webflow, forget about Webflow. There are 200 and something Webflow partners, you're not gonna make it, right? Go find the next one. Right now, the next don't one- Don't go to Bubble. Is, yeah, don't go Bubble. Right now- Don't go to Glide. Go to type, I think it's Type Dream. Don't go to Glide. Type Which, Dream. Oh, oh, yeah. Type Dream ended up being the- No Loco, one. it's good too. Yeah, I think it's Type Dream. Type Dream ended up being type the number good. one no-code product in for the year. They build websites with a Notion interface, okay? So that's a simple example, but forget about type dream. Figure out, find one that you like, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't have to be like an app or website builder. It can be something more like less sexy, like Phantom Buster or Integra Matter, Sapir, something that's not well, visible, but fixes something. What Phantom Buster is, like for example? I really don't know. <laughs> okay, so like Phantom Android, Buster. Probably you know better. Phantom Buster is simply put is a tool where it can integrate with, it's an API, it connects to the APIs of a lot of social networks and it's a Chrome extension. It's also a website, but you can scrape things off Twitter. You can take everyone out of a Facebook group or get people's emails from LinkedIn and it's just automatic. You just click a button and it just does it. You can go do anything on your computer. Automation. It's powerful, but you're saying that's monetizable as right, a service. So find any of these things that you like, go to their website, all of these websites have a community, a forum, a Slack channel, a Discord. Log but there's there. too many people uh, there. That's what people are going to say. There's already too many agencies. There's too many people there. How am I going to compete? Yeah, I know. But you have no idea how many tools reach out to us. And they're like, hey, we want you to become a partner of our software. So these guys building these softwares are engineers. They're not sales. They have no idea on how to do marketing. They have no idea on user acquisition. They might, if they are funded, they might throw money at ads. If they're not, they hope for the best or write a fucking blog or something, right? So be their, be their marketing, not even their marketing guy, be their product guy, right? So usually all of these companies like Glide started, like software, all of these no-code tools started there. Three engineers, engineers, right? None of them have ever sold a car, a used car in their lives. So they don't want just it. be there. Yeah, they don't know how to, they don't like it, et cetera. Just be there. They Tell think them. it's wrong. Become involved, <laughs> learn the tool, ask questions. And just be around. But to who? In the community, you're saying? That's what you're saying? Yeah, in the community, the Discord, in the Slack channel. Like, learn the tool. Find a tool that you like and spend some days, weeks, hours learning the tool. Ask questions. Become involved. Eventually, and then you tell them, hey, whatever you need, I'm here to help for free, right? 
but I can okay. write a blog post. I can do a template. I can do a demo. I can do a YouTube video. But that's the overwhelming part. That's the problem though, is that people know that they could do all those things and they're crippled by the amount of choices. So that's what I'm saying is how would you focus it for them based on, because you've done pretty much all of that and tested it and maybe don't have the long-term data to know really which one's optimal, but in your experience, how would you narrow it down? I think something that resounds with you, something that like in my case, I saw Glide, I fixed the pain that I had in my very small business, right? So I saw the utility of Glide in a small business owner's life. So find something, if you're not technical, don't go to a retool competitor because you don't know what it does, right? Find something that makes sense to you, like fixes a pain for you. Video editing even, or audio right. editing. You could do a bunch of stuff. You right. could do anything. Audio editing. So the script or one of these. By the way, I'm hiring. Right. Okay, go go there, spend some time there, get to know the owners. I mean, these owners, these founders of these tools, they want user feedback. So if you reach out and say, hey, I've been using your tool for a couple of weeks. I have some ideas. Can we have a call? They'll say yes. If they say no, just screw them, go to the next tool. They're not good people. Just to uh, add so on that, even another good tactic, and I've done this millions of times, say that you want to be in their beta and you want to provide them with as, all, as much feedback as possible so that they can make the best product for when the, the other consumers get it. And they need that. They want that. That's a huge value add. True. Yeah. And then all of these tools, their challenge is that they're built by developers and they're like, this tool can be used by small business owners. But there's not a real case study or a real use case, right? So there's a gap. Even though they make things easier for business owners to do whatever, like real business owners that have a bunch of paper in their desk will never use that fucking tool. Correct. So be that chain that connects that bridge, exactly. So if you are part of them as a team, not officially, right? But if you're there like a fucking fly on top of the pool, eventually you'll be like, hey, I want to do a template or I want to do a demo for something. When they have someone, and then I have done this multiple times, when I reach out to a software company and I'm like, hey, I have a problem. Can you help me out implementing your software with a client or implementing the software with my company or something? I've done that too, yeah. They're going to say no because their job is to build a fucking tool. So they're going to say no, but we have someone, they're going to think of you because you're there like a fly on top of the pool. We have this guy. He knows the product very well. He has built, he has started using it, or he knows it. And that's it. You got your first client, paying client actually, because you got referred from the company. And then you push them, like, hey, make me an official partner. Like, set up a partner's page with my fucking picture in their website. And that's it. And that's it. And that's it. You do that. That is very practical advice that anyone can do, and was perfectly explained. And I know, and I, I I'm well, it's happened to me, and I know it's happened to many others. Were exactly what he just said absolutely happened for somebody and turned into many, many, many clients. Not, not just like one hopeful that it becomes a relationship, a long yeah. relationship. Yeah. And then you just do that and you just build that ecosystem. And if you're surrounded by a lot of low code agencies, like the people who know what they're doing, you can create a pretty decent business for yourself if that's what you want to do. But And I've seen that work. It worked with me. And I've said this same thing for now a couple of years. And I know people that have gone through that route and now they are fully booked the whole year because now they're the expert for some other tool. So I know Manon? these words. Is Manon only, in that class? <laughs> no, I didn't speak with him at that time. Some other cases in some other tools. Like I spoke to this guy and he was like, yeah, I saw your video. You said this. I found the tool that I liked. 
now I'm an expert and I- What um, tool is it? So it works, it works. I'm not gonna say it really works, it really works. What, what tool would you have to was say- Glide or no? no it's not for Glide. That guy. It's not Glide, no. no, it's not Glide. The Glide ecosystem, I mean, there are a lot of very good experts. Like right now, you would have to do so much in so little time to get to a level of other experts. But there is a huge opportunity with a lot of other newish tools that you well, Are you same. saying, are you discouraging? I mean, if someone picked a tool and they ended up picking, you told them to pick a tool and they go and their truth is they love Webflow. They love it. Why would you point, steal them? I know you're saying because there's so many agencies and, and the truth is, is that it is the most packed ecosystem that there is. However, I believe that you can be a freelancer that is good enough that can make $84,000 a year doing Webflow, even with all these agencies, they don't eat up everyone. And some people don't even want to work with agencies. You don't agree. I will come into the Glide ecosystem and I am going to get a client just to prove the thesis. I mean, I think it depends on what you want to do. Like in my case, I was like, I want to be the best at one tool. So and that's the right approach. I had to find the tool at a very early stage in order to become part of that since they were born. You're feeding into what you said wasn't true earlier in this conversation, which is people say to you that you're lucky you found it early and that's why you had success. And you're saying, yes, as a matter of fact, that is why, because I found it early and focused on it. Right. So you're countering it. No, Before I you said it wasn't, you were insulted I to mean, people I who was, told you I that. I was lucky. I was lucky, but I also put in a lot of hours. So it's not just finding the tool. It's putting a lot of hours, doing all of these things in order to become part of that product and become the face, the public face, or the official partner or something of the product. Okay. I guess the only thing I would challenge is I think I don't want people to be concerned about you got to find that product on the first day or the first month. I think on it, I'm going to go out here with you on here and say you could find Glide now. And if that's your truth and that's what you love and you're obsessed with it and you work at it and you go, 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 you can absolutely make $115,000 a year with clients and work for yourself. And if you absolutely. Use. But what I'm saying, though, it might be easier. Yeah, I mean, if Glide is your product, then that's a road you have to go through. But it might be easier to find a newer tool where the opportunity, let's say you don't like, you have a hard time selling, right? So okay. you might learn Glide, but, I got you, on but you have to sell. You might like Glide, but nowadays you have to sell your services. If you find, like today on Paragon, there's yesterday, there's a new tool called Clay. Create spreadsheets. That that's not new. It's the, it, I don't know by the way, one of the best tools ever. Let's say that's a new tool. So, okay, this makes sense. You go in and then you become the first partner, the first expert, and then you're going to get easier sales right away. So it depends on, I mean, you can do both things, either choose. I mean, the other thing, maybe you want to start in a tool that already has a very large ecosystem. So Webflow, Bubble, Software, right? So you might go that route. Because you're like, everybody's searching for Bubble, everybody's searching for Webflow. So there will be enough search volume that even though I'm a little mouse, I'll get something. And it's funny you said Clay, which by the way, shockingly, is probably my most used no-go tool. With the founders coming on this podcast next week, because they just made that launch on Product okay. It's a very good team there. Nash is okay. super nice. She's so helpful. That's a powerful tool. But I like what you're saying with the core of what you're saying that's so important that I lacked, and I think a lot of others do, is focus. What you did was, and it reminds me of the book Minimalism by Greg McCown or whatever, and he has Effortless also, two phenomenal books. And what it was is, is that he has a picture, and the picture is two circles next to each other. One circle 
it has like arrows just going a little bit out in every direction of the circle, only like inch out. And then there's another circle with one line that goes a foot out. And it shows you that you can do all these tools and make little progress in all these directions yeah. or focus on yeah. one thing and you get exponential growth, end up becoming more valuable in the ecosystem. And to what you said about the surge and, and the volume of the people like searching for bubble stuff, that's all true. And the crazy part about it is it's not necessarily that you need to know bubble to be a part of that because a lot of people who are searching for whatever it is they're searching for, they're searching for the wrong thing because they don't even know what they're searching yes. for. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I that's can tell true. you from personal experience, probably shouldn't say this, but out of many, many, many clients from Bubble, we never used Bubble <laughs> because it wasn't the right fit though. It wasn't because yeah. it was against the tool. It wasn't right. And so that's true. You get all that traffic and don't think you can't be on there just because you're not an expert in that. I guess that's the takeaway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but maybe that's your entry way to get clients. So they're looking for, for sure. bubbles everywhere. They're looking for Bubble. You pitch something else. And then you're competing with everybody else pitching bubble and you're like, this is my take, this is my point of view, this might be cheaper, better, faster, whatever. You have like a unique, yeah, offering. It's true. That was literally how I started. There were 73 agencies that were there and then things started turning. So that, listen, like, I think someone can be great at Glide now or learn it now and may even be better skilled than someone who found it earlier. It's very possible. That's yes. all I'm saying. Yes, yes, yes. So speaking about going to find tools, what tools are you most excited about or what are suggestions you have for people to look into that you like or that you're bullish on, maybe because the tool or the founding team? Like, for example, I think Glide has, a, I put two teams together as the top teams that just ship all day and just outperform and move fast. Glide's team is amazing At, for products. I'm talking about products, not agency. <laughs> they are awesome. Absolutely. And I'd say the other one, I think StackBuy is incredible. I think they ship yeah. really, really fast. Okay. But what tools of these new tools or ones that maybe you've come across of or maybe you heard about, like what should people maybe look at? I'm like a racing horse. So I just look to whatever's in front of me and it's Integromat here and Glide here. But I do like Waterflow, right? It's web apps, can be native, use Firebase as a database. So very, very, you can grow them very much in terms of the database. Do you need to be technical? Yes, a little bit. It's the interface is similar to Glide. The backend is way more complex. Okay. It's learnable, not something, it's not code. So there's still something that someone who's not technical can get into. I really like Coda, Coda.io, which is the competitor for Notion. Most uh, underrated. Notion, I mean, everybody knows Notion. Coda, Coda doesn't get a lot of... But it does more, don't you think? It does way more. It's... <laughs> I really like it. It's really, really, really powerful. And you can run your whole business using Coda. So I think if someone is like very process, I am very process oriented, so I like Coda very much. But if you are someone who micromanages every single expense in your life and you have a spreadsheet and you can track up everything, like use Coda, become an expert in Coda. I mean, just talking about these tools and how you can become like a partner, an expert, just think about this. Coda has a $1 million fund for creators that create templates, products, et cetera. So just to come back to what I said earlier, in terms of there's a need from these type of companies, Coda is very well funded, clearly, where they need products. Like real, have a good story they have a that. product, and they need that bridge between their product and the client. They I need really attention. Like they need the audience. Yeah. So I can't believe you said Coda, because I feel like almost anything could be built on Coda. The one thing 
the URL, I don't know if you can change that yet. You know, that could be the branding and then external applications. I don't know if there's limitations there or not, like Probably. for internal tools. Yeah. Yeah, but sure. uh, speaking about Coda and the fact exactly what you said, just to prove that you're right, is that, what was it? So I got really obsessed with Coda for a period of time. And I was in the on deck of the first no code cohort. And there's a guy, Hector Reyes. I don't know if you know who he is, uh -huh. but he's yeah, the best. I know him. Yeah. He's in Mexico, right? He's from Mexico. Yeah. He started as a freelancer yeah. and then ended up working at Coda. Yeah. And, and how, and, and he has, has a great story, which is he would help small, medium businesses with their finances with Coda and would create these accounting and like uh, templates and systems mm -hmm. that he would mm -hmm. sell to them. And that's how he started. And basically, what we were doing was we were, there was a project and we wanted to try building it together on Coda. And I tweeted about it or said something like, we're building this and why wouldn't you use Coda? Like, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Tell me why. And I got a DM from Coda and, oh no, I know what it was. I said, I have a database from clay.run, by the way, speaking about your tool, where of like, it's unbelievable. It takes everything off the internet in structured form. So I went every no code, like template and person and all this stuff. So I have this massive database. I said, what do I do with it? And Coda DM me and said, do you want to make like a maker directory that people can use and we could put in the templates and we'll help you with it. But the fact that they, it was the Coda, you know, blue check account and they reached out yeah. Yeah. and I'm not anyone. And just like that. And then after that, no code uh, art from no code devs collaborated with them as well. It's interacting. It's putting stuff out there. It's providing value. It's really what it is. Yeah. And like they need you. They absolutely need you. If no one cared about it, they wouldn't have a product. And yeah, Coda is very, very interesting. All of these tools, just to end the conversation, all of these tools think, and I respect them all very much, but all of these tools slide in the downway, all of the no-code tools, the founders think that anyone will be able to use them. And the reality is that it's not the case. Like a, So do they market it wrong? Probably not because it's a nice pitch. Like anyone can build an app with Clyde, right? But at the end, in order to use it in your business, you will need that bridge, that expert, that someone that's good at the tool and understanding businesses. And there is a huge opportunity for anyone to find the right tool or the right tools to find your tech stack and help businesses with Coda, with Glide, with whatever other no-code tool or the low-code tool or code build stuff. Especially, I really like businesses. I really like internal processes rather than public-facing apps. Because when you start sure. a business, they have money. Right? Building a Tinder for crippled docs, no one has money for a stupid idea. More of a need for internal like, too. It adds more value. It does. It does. You, yeah. External is usually like a test product that people want to like create a business around. Like they're going to get marketplace. Like something that doesn't exist. Internal tools. Yeah, that's funny you said that because I believe in that. I think internal processes and that's what these organizations need. They're not Big or sexy. Small. I mean, if you tweet about them, nobody reads that fucking tweet. But you'll make money, you'll make better money there than creating a new Tinder for dogs or working about with a founder that thinks that a Tinder for dogs will scale. All right. This is a great conversation, by the way. I've really enjoyed it, actually. Very much enjoyed it. I was expecting to be miserable and it was fantastic. <laughs> Hopefully it recorded. I don't know. It's really yeah. good. Though. You're very good at explaining the advice you would give to someone who's starting out and articulating it very well in a practical way that they can go do it. Like you literally, someone could listen to this and go get a client and make money eventually. That's real. And that's, I believe that at least. So last thing, I wish I should come up with like some question that should be like the question that's always asked the end. But 
Well, first of all, do you want to plug anything or where can people find you? Lowcode.agency. What, Twitter or anything? Yeah, I tweet a lot. It's boring. It's a complicated handle. It's E-L-T-I-N-T-E-R-O. It's in Spanish. Or you can search for Lowcode Agency on Twitter and then I retweet a lot of things. So lowcode.agency. Lowcode.agency, yeah. All right, perfect. And give like, just rattle off just a few examples of what type of ideas are built on Glide. That's it. Just what so done, people have ideas. Done a lot of, can... We've done a lot of apps. What I would say is go to my website, to local agency, and set up a discovery call. I do a lot of this with, let's say, unqualified leads or people that just have an idea and they're not ready to build the app. I really enjoy that. I'll give you my thoughts. I won't sell you my services. I'll just give you my thoughts. Like, I think this is a good idea, or I think you should use this tool or get in touch with these people because they have done something similar. So if anyone has an idea in terms of they want an app, they want to launch an app-related business in terms of their business is an app, uh, reach out and I'll happy have a call with you. What can you do in Glide? Anything. I mean, we've done dashboards, internal dashboards. We build a pretty cool app that is a software as a service. You pay a subscription and then you can upload your documents and fax your doctor, your patient records. I mean, doctors don't like email, so they have faxes. You pay for faxes, the cheapest. And doctors don't have a, like a budget. Like for example, if you're building websites, I heard this a long time ago, it's good to start with dentists because dentists, they don't really have a budget. They pay a lot more for it because they, did, they just want it done and they want it done well. And for right. doctor's right. offices, they're good clients. Yeah, and we, hands do a lot off. Of healthcare. we have a lot of financial related apps, internal apps or client portals where people come in and, I don't know, upload documents. We've done a lot of education apps, a lot of managing apps. Can, like, can't people see some of these on your website, like the case studies? Yeah, we have a couple of case studies. We're working on more. We have a portfolio with 20 apps. And then some of them, the ones that are public, you can click the button and you can see the actual app or the website. Uh, so yeah, there are quite a few examples on the website. And so, also you have templates in Glide that would have your name. I have right. templates in Glide and I have the 45 videos on YouTube if you want to learn YouTube. I think in, in the local agency website, good if you're the bottom of the footer, I won't. They're, yeah, I mean, the <laughs> videos, yeah, they're very boring. <laughs> but just have like, a boring video and then the Glide editor and you'll figure your app out. By the way, putting those educational videos on YouTube just to put it out there, has that led to a client a organically? Couple, a couple have said so. No, maybe three or four and some others who haven't. So yes, I'm sure. People need to hear that. All right, last question. Then you got to run. What's your prediction for how no code is going to evolve or in the next five years? And do you think no code is going to get mixed up in the crypto world somehow by any decentralization of some sort with the communities and whatnot and tokens? Have you ever thought about that? Where do you see it going and evolving to? I think that the line dividing no code and low code and code will become very fussy. You'll be able to add code to no code platforms, and then you'll be able to build anything. So instead of building your house from scratch, like if you need a new desk, instead of going out to the forest and cutting down a tree and building everything, you go to Ikea and then you buy the tabletop and then you buy four legs and you assemble things. And then there might be certain things that you end up doing manually, right? But you will have these low code with code tools where you just like 80% of the work you do with low code or no code, and then 20% of very custom thing you do with code. 
I think like why, why do you think that is? It's going to get harder as time goes on. You think it's going to get more technical? You're saying? I think so. Yes. It's going That's to go. So we went from technical to no code to now we're going to go back the other way. Is that what you're kind of insinuating? I think that, I mean, you will be able to build something without code, but you will be able with that same tool, you'll be able to add code eventually and build something much more robust. Oh, like, so like right enterprise now, it's, yeah, maybe. Like, yeah, I think that the more features no-code platforms add to their products become more technical. In order to build a much more robust platform, they have to add more technical things. And a lot of things that I'm seeing, like plugins for Bubble, code. Isn't that the problem, though? Or no? I, I think that's where Bubble is going. I think that a Bubble will be the next WordPress. A bunch of plugins, it'll be a complicated ecosystem. What about Webflow? Yes, it's too much. It's too many features. No, what I'm saying is what's preventing enterprise from adopting clearly better solutions than they have. And the response I get is security. These like Glide, how secure is Glide? Like if I had people's personal information, are they socks too? Are any of these yes. tools? Yes. Why they'll are they get there? They'll, I think they'll get there. They'll get to be HIPAA compliant. Glide is yeah. HIPAA compliant. It's not SOC 2 as far as I know, but it'll get there. Like, uh, Caspio so, is, but that's it. I don't right. know, like anyone else. No, yeah. there aren't many. Judge form. Yeah, there aren't many. So I think these tools will get to a point when, especially when they need higher paying clients, which are enterprise clients, they will have to develop these solutions, security related and all that. I think just like originally with WordPress websites, remember you needed a webmaster like in charge of your website or whatever that is. For a long say. time. <laughs> uh, and then WordPress, like anyone set up a WordPress site. So nowadays, I think that's where no-code is going. Like you'll have someone who's mildly technical, build a solution internally for your business. You might end up hiring someone to get that to the next step. So I think it'll be, and I also think that at the same time, larger enterprises, software like Microsoft and SAP already did that. There will be some large acquisitions from very well-established brands that start buying the Glide and the softwares and the... So market consolidation, like what happened with RPA? I think like eventually it makes a lot of sense for Airtable to buy software. It might make a lot of sense, even though it's not going to happen, for Google or Microsoft to buy Glide. I mean, well, Microsoft Google bought AppSheet, buy right? right exactly. That already happened. already did, right. And then, yeah, I'm sure there will be an acquisition with a healthcare software company, which I don't know the names, like one of the large players that will buy one. a no-code It's in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Epic? Epic. They run right. all hospital software. <laughs> and then they'll buy whatever, the new Glide, the new whatever, and make it HIPAA and provide a no-code solution for their... So I think there'll be a lot of consolidation as well. Oh, it it makes a lot of sense because not, and... not all of these no-code tools will scale as much as they want and then they'll go out to cheap in the market and these companies will be able to grab them for a very and good if price. You had, if you had to pick one that you see as always being a standalone, what would it be? One that would not, won't sell out? Bubble and, and Webflow. Yeah, I would yeah. say Bubble. Airtable as well. I mean, they're already way deep. No, they can get bought. They can get bought. I think so? I do. I still think they're underpriced. Well, every tool needs a database. Every tool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so yeah, another be, I think in. so. There'll be some consolidation in the next five years for sure. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, Jesus, man, I'd seriously really appreciate you coming on and it helps Thanks, a ton. Fun. Yeah. I hope people take something away from this because you definitely gave valuable information for sure. 
And thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. We'll do it again when it picks up steam yeah. in the future. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> All right, man. Bye.